Bible or your phone, some device, you'll be looking at the, the Scripture with us this morning. We're going to be in Luke um, chapter 9. We've been working our way through Luke um, now for several months, um, just kind of chapter by chapter. Um, earlier this year, working through Ecclesiastes, right? And so um, in Ecclesiastes, as we did it, we, we found that each week um, the passages didn't feel very familiar, right? It was, it was strange. Um, it was removed from our cultural context. And now in Luke, um, we're finding some of the weeks, it's stories that are really familiar. Um, even though we were not doing Luke 1 and 2 during the, the Christmas season, right? We were familiar with that section because of the holidays. Um, this morning's passage is one of the most probably familiar outside of the Christmas and the cross um, narratives. And, and so we, we trust that the Lord is working, whether we are tackling a passage like Ecclesiastes that feels new um, and strange, or whether it's a passage that maybe you know and you've known it since you were a kid, that the Lord um, has prepared um, our hearts for it um, to minister to, it, to us through it. Um, if you remember with us last week, um, Jesus has, for the first time, sent out the disciples, right? Um, and He has empowered, imparted power and authority to them to teach and to cast out demons and to heal, right? And then we have, are kind of waiting for the report of them coming back. Remember, Luke is being written to just show us an orderly account of what Christ um, has done, right? From the birth announcement through his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and then into the, the book of Acts that takes us into the first generation or two of the church. Luke acts um, this story looking to write an orderly account um, for us. So let's pick up in verse 7. These last couple of verses we read last week, but I want us to make sure we have kind of the context of what's going on here. Um, now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening. Right, This is the, the work that Jesus is doing. This is the work now that the apostles are out doing, the disciples, the twelve. And he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, John, I beheaded. But who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them, and he withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And they did so. And he had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. And then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and they were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. We're going to stop there. So, so last week we have the, the disciples, the twelve being sent out, right? Um, probably not feeling super prepared, thinking, Jesus, we'd, we'd rather go and do this with you. Um, you seem to have a good handle on it. But he imparts them with authority. They go out, 
And now, they, we don't know how long this span of time has been, but they're coming back, and they're ready to report, right? And so you can imagine, they've seen some things, they've experienced some things, and they're anxious to talk through what they've experienced and to hear Jesus' take on it. And so they've, they've come back, and yet the crowds are still around, right? The crowds are around for a couple reasons. Some, uh, the people are, are spiritually hungry. For some, they just don't want to miss out, right? It is kind of the celebrity show and thing going on. And so there's just people wanting to see. Others who are looking for a sign going, man, we've heard he's walked on water. We've heard he's raised the dead. Like, what's he going to do next? And so they're just there to see the show to some degree. It's why Jesus, in some of his miracles, are telling people, hey, don't, don't talk about it. Right? The, the message isn't the sign. The message is the message. Right? That, that he is coming and the kingdom is near and to repent. The crowds are still around. And so, I love though, right? So they have, a, they have an agenda, they have a plan. The return, the apostles told him all they had done. They took him and they withdrew, right? They're, they're going to process, they're going to rest. And in verse 11, when the crowds learned it, they followed him. But listen to what Jesus does. And he welcomed them. And he spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Like that Jesus, when the crowds come, He sees them with compassion. And He ministers to them and He cares for them. As weary as the disciples are, right? With the the plan that they have when the crowds come, Jesus is ministering. I remember years ago when Carmen and I were doing student ministry, um, Carmen and I were wired pretty differently. Um, And we had gone to camp. We had taken 100 plus kids. Um, It was hot. Um, this was before we had kids, and we have you know, kind of wrung ourselves out, poured ourselves out, doing camp ministry all week. And so as we come home on Friday, you know, it's 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, everyone's departed from the church parking lot, and Carmen gets in the truck and goes, who are we going to have over? And I said, I don't know who we're going to have over. You might have someone over. I'm going to lock myself in the bedroom, right? Like, I've had all the people... And all the, all the energy and all, the, like, all that I want, I've had it. And I need to recover. I am weary from like, long nights and, and lots of needs and junior high drama and all those things. And Carmen um, literally invited people over, and I didn't come out of the room. Like I stayed in the room. Um, some of you introverts are going, yeah, yeah we, we won one here, right? Like, it's maybe the only time that I've won, but I did not come out, I did not feel guilty about it, and I stayed in the bedroom, and I think she had people over till midnight playing games and laughing, and I'm like, I, I don't understand it, right? This is somewhat the scene, right? They, they're coming in weary from ministry, wanting to process and to rest and to recover so that ministry can continue, and then you look up and thousands of people are coming, some with good motives, some with ulterior motives, some just clinger on, right? Watching the show. And how important is it for us that we see that Jesus meets them with compassion? That He sees them. He cares for them. And He does the same thing that He sent the twelve out to do. Remember, He sent them out to teach, to, um, to have authority over demons and to cure diseases. And, and what does it say that He did? He spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and cured those who were in need of healing. He doesn't roll his eyes. 
He's not weary with them, but He sees their need. He has compassion upon them, and He meets them. I think it's important for us this morning to realize, right, as parents, as grandparents, um, like we can get tired of children, right? You can go, oh my gosh, another request, you know? What, like, what is happening here? Jesus doesn't feel that way about us. That when you bring your need and your request before Him this morning or this week, whether it's the first time or the thousandth time, He is not rolling His eyes in the back of His head. He's not exasperated. He is not sighing. He is not tired of you. He is pouring forth ministry and compassion upon you. He sees you and He cares for you, and He is going to continue to do that. Like that Jesus is the same, right, yesterday, today, and forever. And that is good news for our souls today. That when you come, do not feel as though you are a burden. He loves you. He cares for you. He sees you. Just like the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, He saw her in her need, and He ministered to her mind and body and spirit, all of it. So they're looking around now, the disciples. At this crowd, and, and the day is going, and they're out, right? you got thousands of people. They're out in kind of a desolate area. And the disciples start to say, hey, Jesus, we're going to have an issue on our hands if we don't get these people out of here. And I love that Jesus says to them in verse 13, you give them something to eat. You do it. What's he asking them here? Do you get it yet? Do you get what's going on here? Like, think about the things that they have seen so far. They have seen Jesus, right, calming the storm, right, the nature responds to Him. They've seen um, Him almost sink a boat with so many fish that they've caught, right, in, in the wrong time of day. They've seen Him raise the dead. They've seen someone lowered through the ceiling and told to get up and walk who was paralyzed, right? They, they've seen multiple people healed, demons cast out, Not only that, but He imparted authority on them and they've gone out and now have experienced and seen it as well. And so all of these things are going on and and they're looking around going, hey, we've scanned the crowd. This is the little bit of food we found. We know we can't afford to do it. What do we do? And He says, you do it. And He's making them, right, look back to Him and say, wait, how? What? Like, do they get who He is? He's he's continuing to stir this thought and this idea up in them that He can provide. That He can do it. He said to His disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and He had them all sit down. And then He takes the five loaves and the two fish, and he He blesses it, and then He begins to pass it out. And you can imagine the disciples grabbing it and taking it, and taking it to a group of 50 and giving it to everyone. Another group of 50, another group of 50, and another group of 50, and another group of 50. And they're passing this out. And people are probably asking for seconds, right? And, and they just they get all they want. Look, there was an abundance. Because they, they bring back 12 baskets full. Each of the disciples walks back with a full basket, and everyone has eaten. Like that when God is working and when He's moving, it is in abundance. It wasn't a snack to tide them over until they got to where they were going. He is meeting their need, and He's meeting it fully and abundantly. He is satisfying 
their need. Verse 17, they were all eight and were satisfied, and what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. But another interesting kind of um, tidbit of this story, right? when you think about Judaism, you think about food laws and regulations, right? the ceremonial washing, foods that were kosher and clean or those that aren't, who you ate with matters. There is no separating here of people. It's for all. He's caring for all of them. He's feeding them all in a place where they cannot do all of the ceremonial things. The message, right, is that whether you are clean or whether you are unclean, right, whoever you are, when the message is delivered, it's for you. It's for you to receive and to trust, to find an abundance and to be satisfied that the message is for you. And it's enough. The disciples will also, we don't know if pride was beginning to pop up a little, right? You've gone out, you've cast out some demons, right? You've, you've preached, you've been received, you've healed people, and you're going, this is pretty awesome. He is reminding them here that He is the source of it. Right? As they take the food, who do they keep coming back to? They keep coming back to Jesus, who's taking the food, and He's passing it out, and they're taking it and taking it to the people and delivering it. We are seeing almost an acted parable here. That the source of ministry, the source of power, the source of provision, our dependence is on Jesus. And even if it's delivered through others, it comes from Him. So even this morning, although people have um, studied and prepared and served in kids' ministry or in the band or greeting you or in the preaching or the prayer or our interaction, if God is not involved in it, if there's no source to it, then it is empty and in vain. We are tied to the Lord and He is flowing forth ministry through the disciples. Right? We get... We see in Acts that they they get this, that they continue to act in a bold way, trusting that even though Jesus is no longer bodily present with them, that He is alive in heaven, that they have access to Him through prayer, through the Holy Spirit, and they have been commissioned to go out. It is the same call that we have today, that all of our ministry flows from the source of Jesus, and He is teaching us and teaching them to trust that, to depend upon Him, for that provision, and to simply be a conduit of it out to others. Jesus doesn't need the disciples here. right? He's not going, well, guys, I can provide the food, but I don't know how I'm going to deliver it. Like That's not the issue. He is bringing them in to ministry. He's allowing them to be a part of it. The same thing. Listen, He can save our children, our neighbors, our co-workers, our bosses, our enemies without us. But He allows us to come in and experience that impartation of seeing folks who are dead come to life. Of those who are once far from Him become those who are close to Him. Those who are once enemies become family. Right? That every year, right, that we can look in the room and say, there were folks who were not a part of our family last year that now are. Because of what Jesus has done. And He allowed us to see that transformation, that salvation, that sanctification happen doesn't need us, but He brings us into it the same as He does here with the disciples. And that ultimately this whole story is a divinity claim, that He is saying, I'm God. Right? You wonder if the disciples who would have been familiar with the Old Testament, 
right? As they were gathering up the food, did the thought of manna ever come across their mind? Of, oh my word, like God provided manna to our people, right? We know these stories in the desert, day after day after day, He met their needs with manna and with quail, right? He provided water and protection and guidance. God did that. And now here we have Jesus providing. They're looking at the bread going, like you wonder our light bulbs going off. Is the Holy Spirit right beginning to allow things to, to say, connections are being made here. Because listen, as miraculous as this story is, these folks needed to eat the next day. Another meal was required. Those who He raised from the dead eventually died again. Right? The storm becomes a distant memory, right, of how the Lord rescued us in the midst of it. All of these things, these signs, are not meant to be the thing that we, that we build our faith on, that we hold on to and say, that's why I believe. They're meant to draw our attention to the source of them, to Jesus. They're drawing our attention to Him to say, wait a second, these things come and I need Him. I want Him. He's calling us to Him. He's saying, look at me. I will sustain you. Not the sign. Me. I am sufficient. And I am enough. Right? He's telling us that He is the bread of life. And that in Him we will find satisfaction and fulfillment in all that our souls crave and long for. We mentioned Ecclesiastes earlier. And, and really that one of the themes of Ecclesiastes is this, is that we can spend our life chasing things. Right? Chasing money or pleasure. Right? Relationships or power. Prestige or education. Experiences or travel. Right? He, he just goes through and shows all of these things and it's like smoke or vapor that we can see and we think we can grab it, but we can't ever quite grasp it. But, but the New Testament will tell us, like, what about the man who gains the whole world? Like, he gets it. It looks like from the outside, he's got it all. What then? What, what about for them? What if we get it? What if we get what the world would say is success, right? We know that we are still left wanting. That there's never enough money. There's never enough pleasure. There's never enough satisfaction as great of a, a, an experience as it is traveling, what do we want to do it more? Right? When we have money, what do we want? We want more. When we have pleasure, what do we want? We want more. We never go, that was enough. I don't ever need to eat again. I don't ever need to relate to someone again. I don't ever need to experience something again. We're left wanting. And then the question of what if we, what if we don't get it? Like, what if we spend our whole life chasing these things and we don't ever catch up with any of them and we think it's just, it's just there and we'll grasp it and then everything will be good? Right? These questions are meant to drive us to Jesus, to the One who can actually satisfy us. So whether this morning you're sitting here going, I, I've kind of got what I thought I wanted and it wasn't enough, or whether you are on that, that, that treadmill, that pursuit of something and you can't grasp it, He's saying, look at me. I'm sufficient for you. I'm enough. Think about um, however you like your bread, right? 
Do you like um, warm, butter, crusty bread right in the winter with a nice hot bowl of soup, right? And you're just like, smells good, right? Whether it's tortillas, right? Hot, fresh, handmade, right? Homemade. Like, as you think about these things, and as, as your mouth starts to salivate, or whether it's cinnamon rolls with all the sugar on it, right? Like, you start to think about it, and you're like, oh, it tastes good, it sounds good, I want it, right? And then you're left going, man, it doesn't, it is, as excited as I was for it, I'm just left wanting something more. But I've got to eat again tomorrow. I've got to want more later. Or that second bite's not as good as the bite. We, we can begin to think about it even in relation to food. However, if we begin to put our priorities straight and see things not as we see pleasure and bread and money and family and all these things as gifts rather than the thing that we should be pursuing, it begins to change our perspective. So if we begin to see bread, literally bread, as a gift from a good God who knows what delights us and what tastes good and what can satisfy us even temporarily, we can begin to see it as a gift from God. We can begin to see family, right? A family who knows us and cares for us, who sees the inner part of you, and sometimes without you having to say anything, just gets you. And in that moment, you're like, oh, that felt really good. Right? That begins to be this thing that is a good gift from a good God who cares for us. But when we move that order, and now our family has to satisfy us, they have to get us in every moment, they have to understand us in every situation, they have to re- respond and react to just how we need to, or we feel not seen or not known or not cared for, then we can begin to crush the people that we love with our weight of expectations upon them. When Jesus is saying, I see you, and I'll care for you, and I'll respond to you, and your family will do that too, in part as a way to remind you that you get it fully and completely and totally in me. And bread will become this thing that reminds you that you get it in me in a way that sustains and satisfies. And travel and experience, right? You get it in me. And we begin to find that those things become what they're meant to be, these shadows, these experiences that point us to the one that actually satisfies our soul, that sees us and knows us and cares for us. It's why Paul in Philippians 4 will say this, listen, when I've had nothing, I've found the secret. And when I have too much, I've found the secret. It's contentment in Jesus. I can do all things, right? I can do all things through Christ, saying, when I've had lack, Jesus is sufficient for me. And when I've had too much, Jesus is sufficient for me. And regardless of whatever circumstances of life, what I actually need is Him. The rest can come and go. And so whether this life has given you an abundance or this life has robbed from you, Jesus is saying, I am sufficient for your every need and every circumstance, and I will satisfy you. Look back now. We started this, and we're going to kind of bracket this story with Herod here. And he says this in verse 9. He says, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Right? Do you notice he says, I want to see him? We see in Luke 23 that he wanted a a sign or an experience. He doesn't want to hear from him. We go back earlier to the, the parable of the four soils. The point is that the gospel, we have to hear it to be saved. 
right? That it's imparted in us and that it bears fruit. It's not from what we see, but it's what we hear. The gospel has to be preached and said, not just seen. And so he's saying, I, I want to see Jesus, not hear him. And ultimately, he, as he's perplexed, he's going, this isn't the Jesus I want. He's disappointed in Luke 23 because Jesus doesn't do a sign or a miracle for him. And so the question that is asked as we go into this story is, who is he? Who is he? Look now in verse 18. We're going to bracket the other side of this story. And now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he said of them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And you'll notice they're going to list the same things that Herod says. And they answered, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say you're one of the prophets of old that's risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Right? He's, it's the same question that the crowds have been asking, that we're to be asking, that Herod is asking. And Peter answers, the Christ of God, the Messiah. Right? He's saying, you're the anointed one of God. And so we're meant to see this first question from Herod, who only wants to see, doesn't want to hear. And we see Jesus now interact with the crowds and provide. And then when asked, who do you say that I am? They throw out the same answers the crowds do. John the Baptist, Elijah, right? Like we, we know that's what's being said. He goes, but what do you say? In this moment of faith and trust, it's beginning to click. They say, you are the Christ of God. You are the anointed one, the Messiah, right? We've seen this earlier in Luke from the angels. Listen to chapter 2, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angels have said this. And then we've seen the demons testify. This is verse 34 of chapter 4. He says this, have you, um, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And again, demons in 8.28, when it says, When he saw Jesus, the man who was demon-possessed, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Like we've seen the angels and the demons confess who Christ is. And now we see Peter, the disciples, beginning to come to, to grips with who he is. And he's anointed that the King is here. But their, their perspective is changing because they thought the King would come in and, and, and cast Rome out, would come with a sword and put Israel back on their proper place of leading and ruling and throne in their perception. And yet, we see that the, the good King is here. He is freeing those who are in bondage. He is delivering those from sickness, from death, right from their enemies. He's defeating enemies and He's freeing and He's delivering. He is satisfying His people with what they need. He's seeing them and having compassion on them and caring for them. He is providing for them. They, they have the ability now to lack fear and lack need because right the veil is being pulled back and their good King is here. And a good King does these things. He provides security and safety and provision. He sees and cares for His people and He meets their needs. He takes away their enemies and He delivers them. The King is here. He is showing them, I'm here and I'm going to care for you in this life and in the life to come. 
The one your soul longs for is present. So God has provided, right, for the crowds in this moment, through Jesus, provision of food, right? Given their need. This morning for us, it's a reminder that He has provided not just food for their needs, but He has provided through Jesus our salvation. That through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we have means to be a part of this kingdom. That Jesus has redeemed us and rescued us, living the life we were meant to live, dying the death that we did deserve, and to defeating our enemies, sin and Satan and death, coming right out of the tomb and is alive today to be the source of our ministry and the source of our hope and the source of our worship. So the question for us then is this, who do we say Jesus is? Are we like Herod saying, I, I, I need to see you prove something, right? I, I want you to be a genie for me and, and take care of my needs when I have them, um, and then I'm going to set you aside when I don't. Is he simply insurance of, of if there's something happening um, eternally, Jesus, maybe you'll, you'll help me out. Is he simply a good example for us to, to look back in history? Or is he everything? Is he is the source of our hope, our joy, our peace, our rescue? Is he the one that satisfies our soul? Is he the one that we will spend our days chasing and finding and it will bring satisfaction? that allow all the other pieces of life to, to kind of fall into place, right? It doesn't mean that life is easy, convenient. Our circumstances may be broken and hard, but they don't get the final say Jesus does. Right? He says that even though you will die, right, you don't really taste death, right? Because in our death, our faith is made sight. And we're with Him. And that this is the kingdom, this veil that's being pulled back here, this is what we're headed for, is that He is restoring all things to its proper place. That we are to be with Him forever. Security, no enemies, with provision, being seen and known and cared for and belonging to the family of God. So this morning, if you are weary, you can come. Because He meets you in your weariness. He meets you in your sin. Would you taste and see that the Lord is good, that He is sufficient, that He is enough? And would you follow the voice of our shepherd who has compassion not only on the crowds but on us as well? you pray with me? Father, would we trust and believe this morning that You are sufficient for us. That You are sufficient to satisfy our souls. God, that You are sufficient to rescue and redeem us. God, that You are sufficient to forgive us. That You have closed the gap between us and God in a way that we could not. God, would we bring our fears and our doubts and our worries and our concerns and our sin to You, knowing that You will put them to death. Lord, would we do the work of believing and of trusting 
Lord, because you are sufficient for us. Lord, would we hear you call us and speak to us through your Spirit, through your Word, and through your people? And Lord, would we willingly confess our need and our lack? God, if you are bringing to mind things this morning that we are chasing apart from you, God, that we would lay it down. Lord, even ministry. Or as I think about my, my own, that sometimes I can be so wrapped up in that that I miss you in it. Lord, remind all of us that, that our family, our, our money, our pleasure, our ministry, all of those things aren't everything you are. And that those all have a place behind them. Lord, we want to please you and we want to honor you. Would you speak to your people now? In Jesus' name, amen. And, and,